This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, welcome back to the program. Don't forget Terry Ryan coming up at the top of the hour. Jonathan Davis at the bottom of it. In the meantime, I guess there's really only one question for any guest who covers the Vancouver Canucks right now, and that is this. Are things great or really great? That hard-hitting question I'll put forth uh, to uh, Thomas Strance from the Athletic and Sportsnet 650. Uh, so, Thomas Strance, are things great or really great with the Vancouver Canucks right now? Yeah, things are really great. And, you know, this has been a, a wildly impressive road swing for them through the Eastern Conference. I mean, they're bludgeoning oh. uh, the teams that they face here. This is this is circus stuff oh, yeah. most nights. I mean, the one nothing win over the Sabres was more business-like, I suppose, than some of the theatrics we've got from this top line especially, yeah. but also from this entire team uh, since they hit the Eastern time zone on uh, last weekend. But, you know, logistically anyway, right? This has been a pretty difficult trip. They got stuck overnight in Long Island on Tuesday night. Uh, couldn't get out to Pittsburgh on time because of the wind. They got stuck in Buffalo during the storm. Had to bus up to Toronto to fly yeah. to Columbus. And... By the way, uh, spare a thought for Canucks team services guy Mike Brown, not just because it's been a challenging road trip, but because not only was he stuck in Buffalo, but he's also a huge Bills fan. So you could imagine he's sweating oh. the storm for a multitude of reasons. I actually had a funny moment because I got out of Buffalo about an hour before the Erie County travel ban kicked in. Yeah. And I had a funny moment where I was checking out of the, of the Marriott. And, um, and I'm like, hey, if I get stuck here, do you guys have any vacancy? And uh, you know, nice, nice woman at the front desk. It's like, no, you know, the Bills game is in town tomorrow. We're pretty much booked. And at just that moment, the governor announced that the game would be canceled and the phones all start ringing, like one of those old school movies. Um, <laughs> and, and I started to check my phone and I'm like, oh, it looks like the Bills game has been, uh, been pushed. And she's like, well, then we should have vacancy. <laughs> so anyway, uh, you, a, a so bit of a wild trip on the travel side, but hasn't stopped them. And that's going to make today pretty interesting, yeah. right? Because it's the Columbus game. This is one of those games where it's like they should win. Uh, you know, they're minus 190 on the money line. But, you know, given, given everything they've dealt with, given the compression of the schedule and given the complications of this team's travel as sort of the entire continent's been hit uh, by a pretty <laughs> epic winter storm here, um, you know, I, I still think this would be a, a gutty win if they were able to go into Columbus and take care of business today. Um, a couple of things. One, uh, so Mike didn't volunteer to shovel snow in the stands, uh, <laughs> as, as we saw. Yeah, I, I, w- I was in Buffalo. Too. I had my my uh, my 2012 had a, had a hockey tournament as well, and we were able to boogie out uh, on Saturday, the uh, around six o'clock. And the tournament was the tournament got scrubbed as well. Um, mm. really, really sucks for all of those kids. But the, those visuals of the uh, of that one guy going down the snow slide <laughs> in so you know, minus. 15 degrees shirtless uh, temperatures. <laughs> Bills fans are a different breed. Bills fans uh, yeah. are a different breed. Um, so w- when you when you look at this Vancouver team, I'm gonna try to think of a I was trying to think of a clever way to get you to Jake Gensel, and I can't come up with one. I don't know. It's mm-hmm. early in the week. At week, and I'm I'm still uh, the brain cells still aren't firing. So I'll just ask you flat out: How much are people talking about Jake Gensel in Vancouver right now? A lot. I mean, we're about to pivot to the first time that the Canucks have been clear buyers in yep. 12 years. 12 years, I'd say. It's like since 2012. They bought in 2019, right? Mm-hmm. But that was sort of almost in response to a Brock Besser injury. There, It was like back burner, like, will this team buy? 
Um, you expected them to buy. This team loves uh, to go for it, right? Like that's they, they go for it when they're not close. So obviously they're going to go for it when they've got a team that looks like a wagon. Um, so yeah, I mean for sure it's a topic of conversation, and, and then that conversation is sort of morphed over the course of this week, especially with this Pedersen Miller Besser line, you know, picking their teeth with, <laughs> with some of some of the elite teams yeah. in the Eastern Conference here, where, where the conversation shifts and becomes. Really, is it a second-line center this team should be prioritizing uh, so that they can keep that line together, so that they can you know, ha- run a fourth line of Pew Suter, Niels Hoaglander, and Sam Lafferty, uh, you know, as- assuming that Hoaglander's not part of any, any return to bring in a big piece, um, on the fourth line, mm-hmm. which would be a, a massive luxury. Uh, you know, forward depth has carried this team, and if you're able to bring in a second-line player, especially without subtracting too much from your roster, you, you further bolster that sort of big strength of this team as well. So, yeah, I mean, the Gensel thing is definitely in the air without question. I think uh, an anticipation that this club is going to buy. And I think what's interesting too, Jeff, and this shouldn't be understated, a feeling that there's a consensus green light, right? Like that this team can make a short-term move and no one, not even me, is going to bat an eyelash at it, right? That this is actually a pretty mm-hmm. unique opportunity and, you know, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this because I've sort of pivoted and started talking about this. You know, I've had this bit in the Vancouver market for a, for a few years here where, uh, you know, my, my, the, the catchphrase is basically uh, anything can't happen. That, like, at the end of the day, we sometimes see a miracle <laughs> run to the Stanley Cup final. But, it, but, but once, yeah. it, you know, to win 16 games, you better be in, among the NHL's elite. And, you know, we're now in five years of stagnant cap growth, and I kind of look around the league and instead of it being top heavy with some teams that I think are just flat out better, like five or six teams that I think are just flat out better than, you know, the field, I kind of look at this season and, and see a league that's pretty wide open, right? I mean, you know, everyone from if New Jersey gets healthy, right, to the Canucks themselves, you know, I, I mean, there's four teams in the Pacific alone that I could see making a real run here, right? You know, Rangers, Boston, you go through Florida. Yep. Um, I mean, honestly, I can come up with probably the Leafs. Honestly, probably the Leafs with, with how their top players have played. I, I know no one wants to hear that after two pretty disappointing results this weekend. But, um, you know, I, I really think this is a unique year where, you know, maybe aside from a team like Vegas, where you look at it on paper and it's like, okay, they, they might be materially better than everyone else, but they haven't played like it at any point. And now they've got Eichel hurt. You know, I... I just kind of look at this as a, as a weird season where, where the league is not as top heavy as it has been pretty regularly over the course of the past decade. Yep. And, you know, where I think you could be in for more surprises come playoff time than, than what we're used to. So in that environment with a team that's running like this, that has a goaltender like this, that has all of their best players playing at the absolute apex of their games, five of them going to the all-star game. I mean, you know, why not, mm-hmm. right? Like, it, it, it's, it kind of feels like the seas are parting in some ways. Uh, the field is opening up for the Vancouver Canucks as I see it, provided they all stay healthy. And that's a wild yeah. card for everybody because it, so there's, there's a couple of wild card here, uh, a couple of wild cards here, uh, issues. Uh, one that you touched on is the Jack Eichel injury. Um, we don't have any concrete news about what it is, how bad it is, how long it is, etc. So I think that is a absolutely crucial and major yes. one. As now you know, the Vancouver Canucks have kind of lapped them for for first place here in the in the in the Pacific. The other one, I still want to see what Colorado does. Uh, 
Yes. I still want to see what move Colorado makes. Like, I think Vancouver is going to make the moves that Vancouver is going to make anyhow because the record dictates that this team deserves something big. This team yep. deserves a really, really big cookie for what that what they've done. Like, all those – like, I know a lot of it is a like, oh, we don't cake. know what's going to happen with the Pedersen contract, so you got to – it's got to be a massive, massive cookie here for the Vancouver Canucks from Patrick Alvine and Jim Rutherford. Um, and provided – like, the thing about Vancouver – and. And again, like you're right there watching all the games, seeing all the practices, knowing all the players just from afar. Like I look at what Vancouver has been able to do. And I think a lot of us in the East do as well. And it's not only spectacular, but it looks like it's, it's built for playoff success because at every single position, I know we may quibble about, you know, who's on the second line and who's not. But this is a team that looks like at every single position, they have elite players that are ready to lead and if it's an Eichel injury and the Los Angeles Kings softening and is the goaltending you know wearing itself out here um, the Kings all of a sudden look like a much slower team than we saw early on in the season mm-hmm. are they re- already hitting a wall I know Doughty's you know a little pouty about it right now if you follow his Twitter uh, you know responding to tweets the likes of which we haven't seen Drew Doughty do before <laughs> we'll see what happens against Carolina today a lot of it like seriously a lot of it transfers seems like it's opening up here for the Vancouver Canucks. And I don't think it's going to be, well, Colorado's going to do something, so Alvin's going to do something. I think Vancouver just has their horse blinders on. It's like, these are the moves we going we need to make if we're going to have a chance to compete for the Stanley Cup. Because I'm with you. It's jump ball. This year is jump ball, and I think you can make a strong yeah. case for about eight different teams. I think you can throw oh, Dallas in higher. that mix as well. I, I, think, I think you can throw Winnipeg. I think you can throw Winnipeg yeah. in that mix too. I think you can go 12. Like, I throw Carolina in that mix, and I don't even think about it, right? Like, Carolina, for me, is absolutely mm. a team. And, and you know, I don't even buy, frankly, I know eight in a row is, is a lot, but I don't even, I'm not even worried about the Kings as, like, a non-elite team. Like, I have a lot of Kings shares in terms of how I talk about them. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm yeah. 0% worried about what the Kings are going to look like here uh, going into the playoffs. I think that's going to be a very imposing team when the chips are down. Um, so, you know, and, and we haven't even brought up Edmonton, who might be the best true talent team in the league, right? It, it's, it's honestly, I think jump ball is a good way of looking at it. And, yeah, I agree with you. I think the Canucks will strengthen because that's, you know, the thing to do. And, honestly, I, I just think the circumstances around it make it more justifiable, right, in, in a lot of ways than, you know, than what we're customarily used to. Okay, uh, let me let me drill down. Just got a couple of minutes left with you here. Let me drill sure. down on and try to pick your brain on one specific game. So, just picking up January here so far, and tonight uh, we'll we'll see or this afternoon rather we'll see Vancouver face off against Columbus. Mm-hmm. So far, in all of the wins, so that is Ottawa, New Jersey, the Rangers, the Islanders, the Pittsburgh Penguins, and then a squeaker against the Sabers on Saturday. Which one to you was the most impressive win, and why is it the one against the Rangers? <laughs> well, the one against the Rangers was the funnest. You know, like there was, there's something about the big stage that, you know, I, I almost wish that the Canucks yeah. had brought their black skate. You know, I mean, it is 30 years, right? Since the 94 <laughs> final, right? Like you almost yes, wish they'd done yes. it in, in, in a retro look. Um, R- Rangers yeah. wearing, you know, the, the whites on home ice too, just to, just to properly throw yeah. it back. But I, but it was the quality of Where's those Nathan Lafayette? Bring bring Nathan Lafayette <laughs> back to the game. Where's Nathan Lafayette? Bring him back. No man, the Canucks don't hit posts these days. Oh, oh nothing but that. <laughs> oh, very good. Um, <laughs> very good. Very good. The, uh, very good. 
the uh, but it was the back to back goals, the Hoaglander Pedersen goals back to back. Honestly, though, Jeff, like, yeah, I, I'm of two minds here because the to me the most impactful game, the one that had me wide eyed in the press box was the game against the Devils. I know the Devils are shorthanded, right? But mm-hmm. we hadn't seen the Canucks top six just overwhelm an opponent territorially like that. Like we just hadn't seen it. You know, I think, I think it got to like 20 shot attempts to zero with Quinn Hughes on the ice in that game. Right. Like it was just a level, it was a gear we'd never, we hadn't seen from this team, even as they were racking up wins. And for me, that, that was the first game with that Pedersen Miller Besser line together where I, I sort of could imagine, could see the path for this team to have a ceiling higher than anything I'd imagined to that point. Right. Um, the Rangers game for me was almost like proof of concept, but the the it was the Devils game where like you know the Stanley Kubrick 2001 Space Odyssey where like the monkey first picks up the bone, you know it was like <laughs> might as well have had that soundtrack yeah. like da, da, da. so that to me would be one, and then honestly this this Pittsburgh game yeah. that they played this week in this Buffalo game, you know if if you want to poke holes at the Canucks right and uh, you know <laughs> who who would do that like I would never do that. But no, if you want to poke holes at the Canucks, I think the two things we'll probably hear now as we, as we go down the stretch, or, or one of them anyway, is going to be that they haven't been there before. We haven't seen them do this as a group in the playoffs mm-hmm. aside from the bubble, right? And th- that game against the Penguins and those, that game against Buffalo, you know, um, those were mean games. There was, like, ill intent on the ice. The, the referees let them yeah. play. You know, it was physical, and this team held up. They didn't surrender much, right? Their, their defense was on point against Buffalo, aside from maybe a couple small mistakes, but no duplicate mistakes, which is what will we'll keep Rick mm-hmm. Tockett happy. And then that Penguins game, they only allowed two five-on-five shots in the third period, leading by a goal wild. Um, against wild. a pretty good Pittsburgh team, in my opinion. Like, I still have a lot of Pittsburgh shares, too. So, you know, I sort of look through it and think – if you know, if you wanted to say this, how's this team going to hold up when the games get heavier in the postseason? Fair enough. That's something that they, they're going to have to prove yeah. come April and May. But I thought you could see the template for this team being able to hold up in heavier games for their defensive game to take care of business uh, as that sort of intensity mm-hmm. ramps up on the road against a couple teams that can fill the net. Like I thought we saw that at the tail end of this road trip. And to me, I sort of come home to Vancouver thinking, oh boy. Oh boy, this is uh, this is getting real now. It's getting real, and uh, we'll see him on the ice here in about uh, ten or fifteen minutes' time. Uh, it's the Vancouver Canucks, uh, one of, if not the top team in the NHL right now. If you haven't had a chance to watch Vancouver lately, do yourself the favor. Transfer as always. Thanks, it. pal. It's we'll uh, we'll check back soon. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. It's Be good, well. man. It's a fun team to watch. It's a like it's a like to 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 transfer's point too. Like it's it's good that at times the Vancouver Canucks look clinical. Uh, the way they're mowing down teams, um, and they're deep at every single position. Uh, a lot of it starts with the goaltending and ask any coach, show me a good goalie, I'll show you a good coach. Uh, but it's not just Demko, that top line, oh man, with JT Miller, Elias Pettersson, and Brock Besser uh, have been outstanding for this team. Time now for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. Matt Marchese, what's uh, spicing your chili tonight? Uh, well, it's one of the well, today, only... today, maybe. It's, it's one of the only night games, actually, Jeff, because <laughs> we've got a watch all of our hockey during yeah. the day. Um, it's the Avalanche at the Canadians. The puck line is Avalanche minus one and a half. Yes, it's the Patrick Wobble. Uh, Colorado has won five straight mm-hmm. in Montreal. The total has gone under in seven of the last eight between these two teams. And Montreal is 12 and four against the puck line in their last 16. 
so I, as I just mentioned with Thomas Trance, I'm still, I think the, one of the big wild cards here for the season, for the Stanley Cup, for deep runs in the playoffs and all that is I think we're all wondering what is Colorado going to do? Is it as big as a Lindholm from Calgary? Maybe. Is it just small tweaks? I can't see it. Colorado looks like one of those teams that is poised to do something big coming up until uh, coming up the trade deadline and taking another good run at this thing. And again, the ultimate wild card in the West right now is a Jack Eichel injury and how that affects teams and how that affects a team like the Colorado Avalanche specifically. Again, no real information on Eichel at this point, but we'll see where that goes. Uh, very much looking forward to the Avs and the Habs coming up later on tonight. Time now for Line Change. That was it. Presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook, Bet Local. The legend, Terry Ryan, next. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, Jonathan Davis will stop by, have a look at some West Coast hockey, specifically focusing on the Los Angeles Kings and what's gone wrong there. Uh, In the meantime, my next guest, I cannot introduce him without automatically smiling. He is an author. He is an actor. He is a hockey player, both ice and ball. And he gave us one of the best feel-good stories we've seen all season and in quite some time as well this past weekend when he suited up for his hometown Newfoundland Growlers of the ECHL yesterday against Adirondack. News broken by Paul Bissonnette on Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday. He is the one and only Terry Ryan, and he joins me now. Tierra, how are you, pal? Oh, I'm just great. It was a fantastic night, and um, I'm still relishing it. It's a bit overwhelming. Uh, listen, you, you gave everyone some wonderful memories here and some great moments. And, and I, I think as, as much as I think people are going to, you know, delight, um, you know, thinking back and people that were at the game or have seen clips, you know, watching you play again uh, at 47 playing another pro game. I got to be honest with you. Um, that post game, uh, the post game presser that you gave, like that's one for the ages. I've been directing people there since I first saw it. Like, you got to see Terry Ryan's post game presser. Like we don't, we, we get up in these press conferences, as you know, it's a lot of cliches and it's a lot of you know. Let's just get through it. You know, very rarely do we see someone take their time, be as thoughtful, be as vulnerable um, as you were in that presser. And I kept thinking to myself, like. That's Terry Ryan. Like, before I get to the game and the circumstances around it, can you walk us through, you know, some of the, the, the key points? I have one very specific I want to get to, but key points for you in that press conference that we saw last night or yesterday afternoon, what were some of the standouts from you? From the press conference? Yeah, like, what did you really want to get across? What did you want to convey to everybody, you know, talking after your, what may be your last pro game? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of emotion, and now it's obviously. And but by the way, thanks a lot for having me on. I'm a huge fan, as you know, and friend. And you know, yeah. I, I really did think of you. I follow along, man. And I to be on here today is just just this experience here, talking to you and having people listen. If they got inspired or something, like I'm really happy, Jeff. But it wasn't the plan. I did not know I was out the night before celebrating my birthday. 
And at the stroke of midnight, yeah. it was my birthday. My buddies are there. I went to the Growlers game the day before. I'm a huge fan. I'm a fan of the Growlers. You uh-huh. know, that's where I sit. I Now, I keep myself in shape. Um, I, I, some of those guys, Zach O'Brien, Jordan Escott, um, we, we, we've battled together at national championships in ball hockey, at world mm-hmm. championships. Um, so these were really my friends. And I, they must have vouched mm-hmm. for me because Matt Cook, you know, to hear – that I was available. I mean, he must have thought this was ludicrous, right? I, I can see how we, I mean, I would probably think, is this a publicity stunt? And, but I do keep myself in shape. The boys must have vouched. I didn't know if I could keep up. So that was my worry. I'm like, not, not worry, not worry, Jeff. It was an over, it was nervous anxiety. But when they asked, I said, of course, I can't say no to this. But I knew my daughter would be there and, and, and a lot of friends. And, you know, I just, yeah. I, I didn't want to embarrass. Mm-hmm. I said, I hope I can, you know, in my memory, of playing pro, I'm still out there. I still feel like the same hockey player, but decades, plural, have gone by. So I'm like, if I can just get out there and play and dump it in and just do my job, if I can just keep up with the play, I won't embarrass myself or anybody else that are coming there rooting for me. And, you know, Matt Cook didn't have to put me out there, and he did. And in the third period, he gave me a regular shift, and and I went with it. Um, I didn't think about fighting with you, Jeff. If I had just grabbed someone mm-hmm. earlier in the game, I think it would have been a selfish move because what if I lose? Yep. This team asked me to play and they're good. You know, it's about momentum. I never got in a fight to hurt anybody. It's about momentum. And it's about feeling the fans and reading the room. And, you know, when I jumped on the ice and I looked down in the corner and my good buddy, James Melendi, who was captain here of the Growlers for years now, he's a firefighter and plays for the Growlers, a great Newfoundland legend. And, you know, I watched him from the time he's 10 years old. And I looked down, and his helmet popped off. I did my homework before the game. I knew Walker was a bit chippy. So, you know, I'm like, I really lost myself in the moment. I was, it was 1997 again. Again, it's a pro hockey game. I'm a pro hockey player, and they asked me to play and do a job outside of all the other noise. So, you know, the, the fight, I, I get where hockey's going. I'm fine with that. But there's still time to stick up for your teammates. And um, so when that happens, uh, you know, I guess you asked me about the press conference. It was, uh, yeah. you know, again, he didn't have to put me out there. So it was overwhelming. So many things have happened over the years. There's been so many ups and downs. But the best way that I can try to explain how different this was is picture. I mean, you know, you're you're a friend of mine. You know the ups and downs. And there's been more ups, yep, but some of the downs have been pretty obvious. And, and, and pretty devastating at times, i got to be honest with you. And, you know, there was people there. There was people there to support me. The news broke that morning. People, There was four, two couples there that flew over from Toronto that are Shorzy fans, okay? There was people there I went to kindergarten with. There was people I played minor soccer with. Mm-hmm. There was people I went to university with. There was actors. There was directors. There was awesome. family, teammates, senior hockey uh, teammates, ball hockey, you know, so... There was all, it was the best way I can explain it, like the end of the movie Big Fish. I don't know if you've seen it, but you see all these people come together. And, you know, they're, they're all there. This guy's telling stories, and they didn't all know each other, but now they're all. That's it. Like, there was all these people that I have such great memories with, but a lot of them didn't know each other. And they were all in one room to share that unique experience with me, the experience that I never, ever, ever thought in a million years would happen. Um, yeah. So that that's you know it really really reset 
the way I go out. Like, I, I can't believe I'm saying it, but Newfoundlanders really support me. And, you know, I, I should have gone back to Montreal camp that one year, and I didn't, and then I hurt myself, and a little bit of egg in my face. And, and um, you know, the people here were, I can't say they were, I think a lot of them were disappointed. I didn't, you know, there's just a lot of unfortunate things happened back then after I was a first-round pick. And I, yep. I, I felt personally like yep. I let a, a lot of people down. And last night was to put such a great bow on it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, um, it, it's hard not to get emotional here now talking. It's, you know, it was just, it was such positive vibes. And uh, I, um, I didn't want to steal the show, but I'm, I'm glad that at least some people might have found it somewhat inspirational because if that's my one game with the growlers, which it is, um, I, I hope I left them with something, you know, that with, with something guys, there's, uh, uh, you know, you're young. I'm not saying that they, they lack anything as players, but that's as much as I could do. I, I, I think just going out there and playing and working hard yeah. and just trying to be a teammate for one last, you know, one last time, and now I can ride into the sunset with such hmm. happy thoughts about my final professional game. So let let, let me uh, let me isolate one thing from that presser, and I've gone back and I've watched it a number of times, and I've thought a lot about a lot of the things that you said. There's one moment that really got me, Terry. Where, and I think anyone watching that will probably know the moment that I'm talking about. And that's where you talked about how you're 47 years old, but when you play hockey, you don't feel like you're 47. And I, I think about something that um, I first heard Ron McLean say, and he put it so brilliantly. It's a, it's a little story. Maybe you've heard it. Maybe you haven't. Uh, I'll share it with you here. I, I, I just love thinking about this story. And when I saw your presser, I thought of this story right away, Terry. There's, a, there's an old story about a little boy who goes up to his mom one day and says, Mom... When I grow up, I want to be a hockey player. And she looks at her son and smiles and says, son, that's great, but you can't do both. And when you said that you don't feel, when you don't feel like you're 47 years old when you're playing, I think anyone who's, you know, like I'm, I'm 54 and whenever I play, I don't feel like I'm 54 years old. I'm sure I look like I'm 54 years old when I'm playing, but I don't feel that way and like you know this terry like you still feel like a kid no matter how old you are 35 23 47 54 you still feel like you're a kid on the man i'm telling you terry you beautiful bastard you when you said that on that press conference it just stopped me in my tracks oh well I'm, i'm 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 glad that that meant something to you because i yeah i mean that's the first thing that popped into my mind so you what you're explaining right now is exactly how I feel. I love playing. And I think when I, you know, my professional career ended early, I, people might have mixed that up with, you know, maybe having some hate for the game. It was never the case. I, I was her. I, I played ball hockey, as you know, all the way through. And I love it. And that's yeah. one of the first things. I didn't hear that quote from Ron, and he's a friend. That's a great quote. Um, but that's, that's exactly, one. I often say it. Like, when you go out there and you're playing so, like, when I was playing that game, I swear to him. You know, obviously, I know there's an elephant in the room, and I'm older than everybody. But seriously, when I'm on the bench and I'm talking with the boys, and there's a job to do, and you know, it's great. It's like a time machine, man. It's um, and that's just one of the benefits of it. Hockey's so great, and I'll tell you what else is great, Jeff, about the game of hockey. 
is after the game, I went over and I knocked on the door for the Adirondack Thunder and I asked for Zach Walker. And he came out and I shook his hand. And I think he was kind of surprised. But I said, you know, you didn't have to mm. do that. And, uh, you know, I had everything to gain there. And, you, you, you know, you did that and there was a moment. And I know we're getting away from fighting in hockey. And I'm not here to yeah. say one way or the other. I understand that it. it's fine. I love the game we have. We pick it apart, but it's a great game. And it's improving every year. And there's still lots of fights. Uh, but, you know, when when he did that, and, you know, it's how you can't make yourself go out and score, but I swear right before the game, I looked at Penny Lane, and she said, well, you got to do it, Dad. Like, she goes, I can't believe you're going to play pro. And she gave me a hug. And I said, all I can control is how hard I work, Penny Lane. I'm going to go out there. I'm just going to move my legs. I'm going to try my hardest. And like I said, you can't make yourself score, but that opportunity presented itself. And it was like, you know, I, I jumped on it. But he, you know, he had to say yes. Matt Cook had to put me onto the ice. He didn't have to do that. Yep. Right? He didn't have to do that. And those guys, they were the first two people. I went over to Matt. And I really expressed my thanks. I shook his hand. And I said, you know, I'm a fan of yours, man. I can't believe that you're coaching me, if, if only for one day. Hmm. I said, you didn't have to put me on that ice, man. You didn't have to, and I really appreciate it. And the same thing to Zach. I shook his hand, and I gave him a hug. And we went over to Greensleeves, and some of their players came, and some of the growlers came. And we all sat there, and we talked about hockey, about old times, good times, uh, you know, all eras from Gordie Howe to Cole Caulfield, man. His brother was on my team, Brock, last huh. night, like, you know, and, and that, it's just so great. And, and it brings people together, sports in general. But hockey, that's why it's so beautiful, man. You, you go out there and it's so skilled and finesse and at the same time so rough and tumble. And what's on the ice usually stays on the ice. And, uh, you know, at the end there to, to share a handshake and a hug with the guy who fought me five minutes before was, to me, fitting. Ah, Terry, that's beautiful, man. Uh, it, it, it really is. I, I want to ask you about, you know, what happened after the game and, and people you, you hung out with and talked to and the texts and the phone calls mm-hmm. you received. But you, you, I, I, can't, I can't let you mention Penny Lane without, without asking about her um, and asking about, you know, how when you go out there, because you have a million things in your head when you go out there yesterday, and I'm sure that she's one of them. How do you calm yourself down? Like, how do you just get into the game mode when you have all these things in your head, whether it's friendships, whether it's histories, whether it's experiences, whether it's family, whether it's your daughter? How do you calm all of that down at that moment? It's hard. It's hard. Um, Well, it helps, first of all, that there was guys on the team that are some of my best friends in the world now. So that was great. Because when we got to the rink and Zach and, you know, Zach, Jordan Escott, Adam Daw, James Melendi, they're all Newfoundlanders that play on the Growlers. And we're buddies and we skate all the time together. Like I said, we've been to war together. We've been to national championships. So they were really proud. I know they must have vouched for me. So when I got in there, they were like, hey, T-Bone, tell, tell so-and-so a story. Tell this story. Tell that. So <laughs> you know the way that is in a dressing room. So that was the best I could get to take my mind off it. I look, you know... It, Otherwise, yeah, I, I, I went in, I had my headphones on, I was listening to the Beatles, and usually that works, but it wasn't, mm-hmm. it, it was, I, I couldn't really focus, 
on any one thing. And so when, when, when the boys were in there and I was telling stories and hearing stories and we were sharing times and, you know, again, I'm 47 telling these, some of these kids are 20, but the common denominator was hockey, you know, and, and we all had a great time and they let me do the music. <laughs> so I, I put on pretty much mm-hmm. classic rock the whole time. And, uh, that was a bit of fun. <laughs> yeah. I didn't expect that. So that I, and I think they were, they were aware of that. They knew that I was nervous and that, you know, there, there was a little bit of a distraction happening, whether I liked it or not, and, and whether they liked it or not. And I didn't want it to be a sideshow. I told them right away, and, you know, it just ended up being I ran the tunes, told some stories, and it was uh, not unlike hundreds of other hockey game days that I've experienced uh, in pro or senior or ball hockey or whatever. Did you play A Day in the Life by the Beatles? <laughs> that's one of my favorites and um it's one of Ron McLean's favorites you brought his name i know yes, that it is. uh <laughs> that's one of my favorite songs ever and my daughter and i um actually that now that you brought that up i just explained to her sergeant pepper and how important the beatles are to music and all of that we just went through it or, well not only music i think the beatles transcend music and uh, we just went over it the other day, so it's really fitting that you asked me that question. And yes, in the room, I didn't play a day in the life, but I, for my bangers, I played Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band Reprise. I played Get Back, and I played Back in the USSR. It's nice. fantastic. Those are great jams. Oh, those are tremendous songs. I mean, they all are. I mean, Beatles are, what do you say? I mean, Touched by the Divine. I mean, everything they did uh, was, was absolutely brilliant. Okay, so after, I'm always interested in, the, in this one. After the game, you look at your phone, and it's, I'm sure it's exploding. Which yeah. texts or calls surprised you the most? Well, so far, because I haven't even come close to going through them all, um, I had 431. I know that because it came up on my text messages. So those are those people with my number. Right? And then you got the Instagram. So I, right. I haven't yep. gotten to all of them yet. I tried to, but... Um, it was nice to hear from Ron McLean. Um, I got a, a message from Jason Momoa. I got, um, oh, wow. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to name drop. I'm saying he, he's my friend. He got me into the acting. <laughs> I don't talk to Jason all, all the time yeah. or anything. He set me up and I, I respect his privacy and everything. We were, we became friends, mm-hmm. but you know, I'm not in his grill or anything, but once in a while he'll send a message and he sent it. So I, I don't know where he was in the world. Um, you know, but basically, I could name drop, but the rest, it, it was it was teammates. It was teammates, man. It was like Jeremy Thompson, who I played with mm. in 1995 in Tri-Cities, and Mark Hurley, and Devin Frankon from the Red Deer Rebels in 97. Um, oh, Ron wow. Du- yeah, man. Ron Duguay, who I've played. I love Ron Duguay, man, hey. and I always did. As a- so I, um, I do alumni events with him here and there. But Ron's the same, like I don't be in his grill or anything, but he sent me a message, and Jeremy Roenick sent me a message. I met Jeremy once. You know, so... Wow. Yeah, there's a lot going on. Uh, Carlo Koliakovo, and uh, I'm going on his show tomorrow morning, but the, 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 nice. the, Carlo is a friend because he played here, right? He played in St. John's. Mm-hmm. So all those yep. guys, you know, I was just... And the year, it's funny, the year, Ian White, the, the year that those guys played here, I did the color commentary. Um, because I just hurt my ankle and I came back and I was 
I, you know, looking for work. I wanted to be involved in the game, so I did that for a year or two. Yeah. With Brian Rogers, legendary uh, broadcaster here, who's now legend. Oh, yeah, man. So he's one of yeah. the guys that 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 called the Pards and Zach. But the next morning, Brian called and he said, "Are you ready to go here?" Like I told Cook, he said that you know you're you're not going to mail this in, and so that was Raj. And then that year, Carlo, and it's funny because the that was the year that Memorial Stadium went over into Mile One Center, which is now Mary Brown Center. So, like, I went in there. Yep. My first memories of that building are my first memories of not being able to play pro anymore. And in there watching those guys, wishing I could be on the ice in the American Hockey League in, like, the mid-2000s. And now, 20 years later, I am out there playing pro, right? And Carlos texting me going, hey, man, will you come on tomorrow? And Brian Rogers is right next to me. And I'm, like, skating around in a pro game. Like, it's so, like, I, I yeah, just the, the time and space always fascinate me. And, and this is a, a, a twist on that that is so unique that it's hard to put into words. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, uh, I, I, Elliot and I were talking about you on the podcast that just came out this morning. And, and one of the things that I was, um, that, that I kept coming back to uh, for you um, is family. And we think of your dad. And I've had uh, conversations with your dad that are, man, educational and hilarious. And he's got a million stories and they're fantastic. And I was telling, you know, anyone that bothers to, to listen to me how much, you know, um, of a great hockey family this is. And we talk about, you know, support and, you know, following in, in footsteps. Your dad played for the Minnesota Fighting Saints or the WHA, and that's a tremendous story. And he's got lots of stories uh, about yeah. that squad as well. Um, when you think about family and growing up, like I trying to make the point, like you understand, like Terry grew up in this. Like this is the water that Terry Ryan swims in. It's not just hockey on the ice and then it stops. Like there's like one of the things I always like to say about you is there's no boards in Terry Ryan's life. Like the game doesn't stop and then life begins somewhere else. There's no boards for Terry Ryan. It's all one thing. You don't step on off the ice and you're a different person. That is Terry Ryan, no boards. Um, how would you describe growing up and this, this sort of hockey lake that you've swum in your whole life? I was so fortunate growing up, Jeff. I'll tell you this, okay? My dad coached the Mount Pearl Junior Blades, which is great enough, man, and they went undefeated one year, and they won the Atlantic Championship, Junior B Championship. So I got to watch that, but there's a big Newfoundland Senior League here, as you know, and, like, mm-hmm. a real unique situation. Like, you know, people really support it here. We have imports, and so when I imports, meaning off the island, people fly in, right, and play, and... um it's it's a big market here, man. People love it. And um, so when I grew up, for example, in 91-92, Mario Roberge played in Port of Basque. And in 92-93, won the Stanley Cup. Bill McDougall played on the same team in Port of Basque here, who didn't win the Herder, by the way. And the next year, I'll never forget, Bill McDougall had 52 points in 16 playoff games in the AHL and won the scoring. Still, It's still a record. He was playing Newfoundland senior. Huh. So there was... You know, there was always Bill Riley played here for years. Um, the, my idol growing up, um, as far as senior hockey, at least for a couple of years, man, this guy was a magician. It was Robbie Forbes? That's Sidney Crosby's uncle. Um, yeah, played- I know Robbie. He's a wonderful he- guy. Oh, he's a great man. Yeah, man. 
And he gave, I remember playing Adam hockey. You know, things you remember are impressionable when you're a kid. I was 10 years old. I guess I was in Adam. And they were there, and they came out, and I, I, I couldn't believe it. I went over, and I asked for his autograph, and he shook my hand. I think he was, he, it was his first year over. I think he was kind of enjoying I don't think he expected so much fanfare. And, uh, you know, he said, how you doing? And good luck. And then I went back, I don't know, maybe three or four games later. You know, I was always around. I was a rink rat. And he played on Cornerbrook, and, like, they would smoke the Mount Pearl Blades. Um, but, uh-huh. you know, I still, I didn't go to watch the Blades win. I went to watch senior hockey, whatever. And, um, for sure. And Rob, Robbie came back and, and shook my hand. And, and I'm sure he was humoring me looking back, but I, I was like, wow, like he pays attention to it. And it really motivated me to play. Like it, it wasn't the only motivator. I'm not saying Rob Forbes was the be all and end all, but like, I really looked up to him and I remember it's one of my first huge memories is, is, is being so proud that Rob Forbes knew I was captain of the Mount Pearl Blades, you know? And, um, hmm. so, and I, that's, look, I'll tell you something, how things come full circle. I'll try to sum this up as best I can. Mm-hmm. So my dad, my mom ran minor hockey in the scheduling. So she would always schedule the Mount Pearl Junior Blades or Senior League Blades when my dad was coaching their practice at the very end of the day, whether it was Wednesday, Thursday, I don't really remember, but it was at, it was the last. So then right. uh, me and a few of my buddies, and we won every year, man, it had to have something to do with it. We would get to skate. Because, like, once the, once the ice was done, the rink attendant, Tony Fonce-Faulo, he had a stroke recently, and he's in a home now. Fonce would leave the door open with a wink and a nod and uh, leave this place awesome. the way you found it. And we would get, and because my mom was, you know, we would some of the blades would stay out, and then they would go off, and Fonce would let us be out there playing. I had 10 extra hours of ice time a week. I mean it. And we... Like, you're right. That was life. It was everything. How many meals did I have with my skates on over on the bench? Mom bringing me up in the boys' McDonald's. Oh, yeah. Whether it was, you know, if there was an hour <laughs> in the middle of the day that came that came available, Fonce would phone us, okay? If, you know what I mean? Sometimes people cancel or whatever. We were on the ice so much. Now, sure. now, fast forward. Fast forward. I'm doing... When I'm doing Shorzy, one of my first lines when I had Letterkenny, the birth of Ted Hitchcock, Jared had my lines written. And I, one of them, I can't really remember, but I think it was center Heiss. A lot of Newfoundlanders add an H, you know, <laughs> yep. to vowel, vowel yep. sounds, you know, and or, or drop one. Like uh, Ed Hurley would be like, head early. What do you add, Ed Hurley? Right? And so <laughs> early, other than, so you drop the H, you add, a, add an H. Now, there's dialects all over Newfoundland. Like, so... We, a townie, which is being in St. John's, they call townies Bayman, Bayman or Bayman outside the overpass. But Bayman, have a lot, there's a lot. St. Anthony's different than Irish. This story, then um, uh, Southern Shore is different from Harbor Grace. Is different from Cornerbrook. So Jared Kiso watches Coldwater Cowboys. So on my line, I looked at him. I go, well, Jared, I can do this. But if you want me to be consistent. I'm going to have to continue to do this. And I'm doing someone from Western Newfoundland here. Now, I know you love the show, but I got to kind of try. But I go, I can do a townie like that at the snap of my fingers. And the reason I can do a townie, Jeff, is because growing up, Fonce, I just told you about, Fonce is like a local legend. Yeah. He's even, I'm sure if you Google him, he's going to come up. And Fonce used to wear a tux to all the senior or junior games and do the ice. And people loved him. He's such a personality. He was a... Addictive person, a magnetic person to be around. And we would walk, my daughter and I just lived up the road, 
um, for the last few years before he went in the home, and we would walk by the old uh, Trans Canada Railroad tracks, and which is now a path. And we would walk up into his backyard, and he'd often be there with a fire and a beer, and we'd have a chat. And you know, he was part of Penny Lane's upbringing in that you know we would drop by a few times a week out for a walk. And so here I am, because we used to imitate him, just trying to get under his skin, right? But he had fans by, come on, come on, fans, right? And we would always kind of imitate his voice. <laughs> and he speaks, fans speak yep. really slow, like this. What are you at? What are you going to go play hockey with the Canadians? Are you boy? So he slows it down. <laughs> so really, I just sped up Fonce's accent, yeah. okay? Now, here's the thing. Here's oh, the wow. Thing. <laughs> A couple of years ago, after he goes in the home, after I do season one of Shorzy, okay? Now, I, I told you I made some bad investments. I was uh, down on my luck for a while, and I didn't have the money to buy a house. Yep. And finally, um, Penny Lane's, and Penny Lane's mother, um, Danielle, my ex-wife, but we're, she was there last night. We're such great friends, and she lives just down the road now, and we both raised Penny Lane. And... Um, she was leaving to go to, she's back now in September, but she left for two years. She took a job in Canmore, Alberta. And I was traveling a lot, to be honest with you. I, right now, if I wanted to maximize my potential, I would probably live in Toronto, you know, because I, I, I travel there quite a bit. I, my, my, my agent is yep. there when it comes to acting. Um, you know, it's the center of the hockey universe. There's a lot of charity events, things I'm speaking at and things. But my daughter begged me. She said, Dad, Dad, like, I, I don't want to go. Not that she didn't want to be with her mom. She didn't want to go to Toronto or Calgary. She's like, I really want to be here. All my friends. And she goes, like, please, please, please. So I only had so much money. I had about $8,000 to put down on a house, and which doesn't leave you much. And as soon as I looked, there was two houses available in that range. And one of them was Tony Fonsfalo's house. As I talk to you, I'm sitting in my car in the driveway of Fonsfalo's house. No. Who, uh, who I'm playing wow. on Shorzy. And I had no idea one would go to the other. And he's in a home now. And I hope he I hope he, he can understand. I'm not sure that he can. And he had a stroke. And he's a great person. And his, his, his brother, Bert, is actually my godfather, if you can believe it. And... Um, it was just, people think, oh, you bought Fonce's house. I'm like, yeah, but it, I didn't see it coming. It was really all I could have found. It's great. It's a great little 650 square feet. Our backyard is right there on the river where it's a two-minute walk to my parents' house. To me, it's paradise. And um, so to talk about coming full circle. Hmm. Uh, Terry, you're amazing. Um, listen, you did yourself proud. Uh, you did the Growlers proud. Um, you did... Your family proud, your daughter proud, your ex-wife proud, your province proud, um, and you did hockey proud, and you gave people some wonderful memories and a, a post-game press conference for the ages and a master class in how to conduct yourself during one of those. And, and every time you speak, like I know you always say that you're always shy about considering yourself uh, an actor, but you know part of you know part of acting. Remember Gord Downey uh, once described acting as a carrying, like trying to carry a 500-pound feather. Like that's how heavy it is and how light it is at the same time. And watching you and listening to you, man, nobody carries a 500-pound feather better than you do. Uh, TR, thanks so much. I know you're super busy. Uh, thanks so much for parking some time with me today. And thanks so much for, for some great hockey memories over the weekend. Really appreciate it, pal. 
Thanks for the phone call. Like I said, I'm a big fan. I got one more birthday wish, and that's uh, to maybe go out for a coffee or a beer with you and Elliot Friedman when I'm in. Uh, I love you guys when you're, uh, I love your show. I love your takes, and uh, it would be an honor if you could do that for me the next time we meet. Next time you're in town, we're doing it. And Elliot's pan. Perfect. Um, thanks, DR. Okay. You, be, you be good, my friend. Thanks. Keep up the great work. There he is. Uh, the great Terry Ryan, um, TR, and now Newfoundland Growlers alumni. I just love it. And again, if you haven't had a chance to go watch it, go have a look at the postgame presser. It's on the Newfoundland Growlers Twitter feed from last night. It is just wonderful and beautiful and touching and funny. Um, it's Terry. It's Terry. On that, we'll hit a break. Uh, John Davis joins me in a couple of moments. We'll talk about West Coast hockey, uh, focusing in specifically on the LA Kings. Wow, that was so much fun with Terry. God, he's a good man. Uh, Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and wherever you get your podcasts. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, welcome back to the program. Hope you all enjoyed the interview with uh, Terry Ryan. Uh, if you missed it or just caught part of it and you want to hear the whole thing, that will be available on our podcast wherever you get your podcast. In the meantime, we talked to John Davis about West Coast hockey and we talked to him about the Los Angeles Kings. And we'll start, J.D., by talking about Justin Williams. You know, we're going to see the uh, Carolina Hurricanes and the Los Angeles Kings here in about 90 minutes. Um, Ring of Honor time for Justin Williams. Yeah, and very fitting. And and especially, you know, why not save it for a night when the L.A. Kings or a day when the L.A. Kings are in town? Mr. Game 7, uh, legendary here in Los Angeles and legendary in Columbus and, and doing a great job with you guys on Monday Night Hockey. Yeah, he, uh, he he really is. Now, you know, Los Angeles for, you know, to be blunt, all the wrong reasons here uh, are very much in the uh, in the hockey headlines. So what, what's gone wrong? Like that team that we saw at the beginning of the year can't be the same team that we're seeing now. What gives with this version of the L.A. Kings? I mean, I know all teams have losing streaks. All teams have speed wobbles. But this one just feels and seems a lot more concerning, J.D., well, I'll use the analogy that you and Elliot used talking about the Seattle Kraken earlier in the show. The sum of the parts is greater than any one individual with this team. I mean, Anze Kopitar is having a great year, a point a game this year. But 39 points, yeah. Jeff, put, puts him 41st in the, in the league in scoring. Uh, you know, so if everybody's clicking, everybody is playing the system, they're really good. But, you know, too many games blowing two goal leads – you know, Tom McClellan talked about, you know, not playing 60 minutes. It's very cliche, but they truly haven't been. They're finding ways to lose. Mm -hmm. And, you know, look, the Florida game, very indicative, you know, not playing until the end of overtime when Sam Bennett or Sam Reinhardt scored that goal with seven-tenths of a second to go. Uh, it is concerning. And there's – they just – they don't have that guy that can carry them on their back. There's no Jack Eichel. There's no Nathan McKinnon. Ante Kopitar is a really good hockey player, the best player that I think that has ever put on a Kings uniform, at least started his career. You can argue Gretzky, but mm -hmm. Kopitar has been the best King. But I just don't, he's not the guy that will take this team on his back. 
Can Drew Doughty still be that guy? You know, once upon a time, whether it was Team Canada, um, as we saw uh, in 2010, or the Los Angeles Kings at time en route to a couple of Stanley Cups, we've seen Doughty, you know, perform like that before. And I still think, like, the the combination of Drew Doughty and, and Mikey Anderson, for those that haven't watched, you know, much LA Kings the past couple of years, are one of the best pairs in the NHL full stop. Can Drew Doughty still be that guy? I don't think he can. Uh, and to your thing. point about the combination oh, of Anderson and Dowdy, uh, you know, I was looking, taking a look, their high danger chances, Jeff, the first three months of the season were about mm-hmm. eight chances a game. They've now gone up to 13 in the last six weeks. I don't know if that means the teams are figuring them out. I don't know if it's Drew playing too much time. I mean, look, he, we revel at the fact that he plays as many minutes as he does. Maybe it wouldn't be a bad idea to, to cut back. Maybe it would be a good idea to take him off the power play. He's got two power play goals this year. You know, you brought Brant Clark up. Mm. Why not use him there? Jordan Spence would be a really good option. I just think that the Kings, they seem to be very stubborn in changing their ways. You see, that that's the interesting thing. I'm, I'm glad you got us to those two players because I know a lot of, like, uh, hockey fans are not too dissimilar to other sports fans you want to see the shiny new toy you want to see the kids so you want to see Brant Clark you want to see Jordan Spence but that's going to come at the expense of someone else um you know one day Brant Clark and Jordan Spence are going to be full-time NHLers probably on this Los Angeles Kings roster in this Los Angeles Kings lineup how do they get there JD what needs to happen until you can get the shiny new cars out of the garage well, I mean, I, I think what you have to do is you've got to decide. Look, they're pretty much look. They're locked into Dowdy. They're locked into Mikey Anderson. They're locked into Matt Roy and Gavrikov. So, do you have to be locked in, locked into Andreas Englund? Could you play Jordan Spence and Brant Clark in the same game? Why not? Why not? Why not do that right now? And you know, look, there's been some suggestion that Brant Clark isn't playing because they're concerned about bonuses kicking in. Jeff, if bonuses kick in. For Brant Clark, that would be the best thing that could happen to Brant Clark and the LA Kings because then yeah. he is the player that they had hoped he would be. And then you could move Matt. Look, Matt Roy is on an expiring contract. If Brant Clark is going to be this good, then you could even yeah. move Matt Roy at the deadline. I mean, I just, I, I'm a little confused right now. And, you know, there's the other problem in Los Angeles, Jeff, is that there's no one in the minors, really in Ontario, to steal a job. I mean, other than Brant Clark right now. So, Players don't have the threat. Mm. There's no, you know, Connor Zary that the Calgary Flames brought up that's sitting in Ontario right now. So in in terms of then, if you could sort of do a sort of pecking order of problems, I suppose, for the Los Angeles Kings right now. Really, I'm coming to hustle hard on Los Angeles here. Ah, but they were so good to start the season. I uh, got everybody excited about the potential for them. If you were going to prioritize, you know, the issues here, would it be blue line? Would it be net minding? You know, maybe as Cam Talbot hit a wall here, has he, as you talk about Doughty, you know, playing 26 minutes a night, has Cam Talbot played too much hockey to be effective um, this season? Uh, is it forward depth? Is it specifically Pierre-Luc Dubois? If you were going to create a pecking order of problems here, like what deserves the most attention? Well... Yeah, I mean, look, they just they need a game breaker. They don't have that, as we talked about. I mean, look, Trevor Moore's got 18 goals, but he's only got 29 points. Pierre-Luc Dubois, you know, early on, Jeff, you could cover up the fact that he wasn't playing well because the team was winning 
I, I don't think that Cam Talbot no. has, has necessarily fallen off the map, but he's on pace to play 60 games. David Riddick was brought up. Jeff, he's started three games. He's played four, but he's only played against two different teams, San Jose and Detroit. It, mm-hmm. It's crazy. Um, he, I don't think he's playing today. It looks like it looks like it is Talbot. So you would expect Riddick to start tomorrow in Dallas. They, like I said, the sum of the parts is greater than any one individual. So they've got to find a way to maybe you know do what Rick Bonus is doing. You know, Sean Reynolds talked about. It. I love what Sean said about Winnipeg. They're more concerned about playing the system and that leading to wins. It will lead to wins. LA's got to go back to doing whatever they did at the beginning of the year when they were playing at such a fast pace. Um, and, and that's what they, I, I think they need to do to start to turn things around. Here's the question, though. Can they? Like, all of a sudden, this, you know, this, this zippy team that we saw at the beginning of the season just got really slow, really fast. Yeah. Can they? Yes. Um, but... Some, like, someone needs to step up in that room. Like, you know, since the Stanley Cup, they don't have a Justin Williams in that room. They don't have a Matt Green, a Rob Scuderi, Willie Mitchell guy, Mike yeah. Richards. Like, I don't know who that guy is in the room right now, but they do need somebody to kind of take the reins. And as much as, look, I, I don't know if that's, if Anze Kopitar is that type of captain. I'm not, I don't want to disparage him. He's such a great player, but... They just need someone to stand up in that room and to take control. And I just haven't seen that, especially even listening to the post-game press conferences. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, one more um, one more LA Kings question, then we'll, we'll move on. And Kings are facing off against Carolina Hurricanes this afternoon. That game gets underway in eh, about an hour and 15 minutes' time. Uh, Quinton Byfield, your thoughts so far this season, uh, the breakout season, playing on the top line with Kopitar and Kempe. Your thoughts, which man, you and me, JD, have been talked about, <laughs> have been talking about Quentin Byfield for years here. Uh, where are you at today on Q? Well, I definitely like the progression that he has made this year, and I like the way the Kings are utilizing that big body. I mean, you, you know, we had two power play goals uh, in their game against Detroit, and you know, he's a hard object to move. Uh, and you know mm-hmm. what he did in the off season in, in work with Barb Underhill, you can see that paying off. Uh, gone yep. to a longer stick, started that a year ago. So there are a lot of pluses with Quinton Byfield, uh, for sure. Definitely definitely going the right right direction. The one thing I would love to see the Kings do more with Quinton Byfield, play the guy in three-on-three overtime. Ellie's only got two wins, I think, in 10, over, or 10 overtime games this year. That's a hard mm-hmm. body to move. He's, he's skating really fast. I'd like to see him get some more play there because there's there's a lot of points that they've left on the table. But... Definitely where what the narrative is this year compared to a year ago. I mean, we, we've we've gone totally in the opposite direction in a great way. Let me finish up with a, uh, a question about a team that right now, as we uh, as we have this conversation, is trailing the Florida Panthers by a score of two to one goals by uh, Sam Bennett, Sam Reinhardt, because he's scoring every time he's out there on the ice. And that is the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, Alex Kaloran with the lone marker for them so far in this game. Uh, Leo Carlson returns, and that's a good thing. One of the most uh, electric young players in the game. Um, you know, they're following uh, a really interesting and traditional path. And I always wonder, too, some general managers like to create teams in their image. Do you think Pat Verbeek is one of those managers? And if so, what does that mean for Trevor Zegras? 
Yeah, that's a, that's been a very polarizing question in Anaheim. What does it mean for Trevor Zegers? I, I like what the Anaheim Ducks are doing. I, I like I like the you know I like the trade from the standpoint of you know the Cutter Goche gives them another element that they need up front. And as you have documented, mm-hmm. Jeff, they are so rich on the blue line, so they could afford to move move a guy like Jimmy yeah. Drysdale. Look, I think you win with guys like Zegers. You you know that's why they brought in guys like Kalorn and Gudis to help Zegers become a pro. Um, I, I wouldn't want to give up on that skill. It, it's way too soon, in, in my opinion. They need that skill. They've they've been starving mm-hmm. for it. So, you know, you've got guys like Mason McTavish, who I think we both believe will be wearing a letter, whether it's an A or a C, very oh, yeah. soon. Oh, yeah. I think I think having a guy like Zegris as part of that mix is is integral. Uh, you want to have as many different players with different skill sets as possible in your lineup. Uh, JD, this is great. We're up against it. Got to hustle. Thanks, as always, for stopping by and, listen, sharpening the pencil on what is, uh, at times, a very confusing Los Angeles Kings team. I know that uh, I still have a hard time considering their, their recent woes, wrapping my head around uh, who exactly this team is. So always appreciate the contributions. Thanks so much for this, as always. Oh, always a pleasure. And I think you are now the president of the Oliver Bjorkstrand fan club now. No longer Daniel Sprong. <laughs> I might be. I, I might be. I've moved over from from Daniel Sprong, and I'm uh, I'm going from Sprong to Bjorkstrand on the Seattle crack, and we'll see how that works out. It has played well for them, though. Uh, thanks, JD. We'll talk soon, pal. All right. Take care. There he is, uh, Jonathan Davis, West Coast Hockey. We focus in on the uh, the West Coast teams, the uh, Anaheim Ducks and the Los Angeles Kings, at times the San Jose Sharks. We should throw the Seattle Kraken into that mix uh, as well. Got a couple of minutes left here. I'm, I'm really curious that as I bring on Matt Marchese here, um, haven't heard yeah, from you since the, uh, the end of the first hour, but uh, just curious how, how much of the Terry Ryan interview you heard or how much you followed the Terry Ryan story uh, on the weekend. I understand the authority of, of football in your life now with your show, but uh, do you have a thought on what we saw out of Terry Ryan this weekend and also what we heard out of Terry Ryan post-game or just in that interview about half hour ago? Uh, I heard the whole thing. Um, and just listen, for people that don't know TR, and I know TR a little bit. I don't want to say that I'm best friends with him or any stretch of the imagination, but for those that know TR that have dealt with him, what you heard in that interview, what you heard in that press conference that's terry and the talk about the genuine love of the game when he talks about that that is terry he does play ball hockey at a high level still at 47 he plays for the canadian national team in uh you know over 35 events and played for them before that um and and still you know playing played senior hockey all of that stuff terry's just a wonderful person and the, the thing that I love the most about Terry is he, you know, when he talked about when his career ended, that it wasn't because of a bitterness towards the game or his situation or whatever. It was, it was just yeah. a decision that he made and maybe it was the wrong one. But the fact that Terry still loves the game and is still trying to be involved and does all that stuff, like I, I hope for good things to come Terry Ryan's way. Like him on Shorzy is he's hilarious in that it's funny <laughs> and and I'm I'm really rooting for him. That for him to play in that game, the thing that I love the most about watching like the highlights of it was first shift Terry's out there swinging his sticks at guys like he was not backing down from anybody. He was giving guys jabs like I loved every second of it, and that's just Terry. I, I thought it was great. And him getting emotional talking about you know his daughter being there after not being able to watch him play professional hockey i thought that that was really special i'm i'm root i always root for terry 
Uh, it's tough not to, and that became such a great story over the weekend too, and it, it bleeds into early part of this week. And you know, uh, listen, he's alumni now with the Growlers. Mm-hmm. Um, not that he wasn't already a, a larger than life personality on the island. I mean, he's uh, the 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 status and the legend grows uh, for Terry Ryan in the province of Newfoundland. Really happy for him. Um, anything stand out for you from the the weekend? Whether it's uh, the Calgary Flames and a really impressive win against the Vegas Golden Knights, whether it's the Vancouver Canucks that just continue to roll, whether it's it seems as if like this has been even more so than last year a really streaky league. You know, like Edmonton, you know, Evan Bouchard, you know, puts a nail in the coffin, ten game win streak. Seattle Kraken, nine game win streak. You have a, a a thought or anything jump out at you from the from the weekend? It'll be the Oilers for me for a multitude of reasons. But one, I threw out this stat on Friday. Uh, I got it from our pal Steve Fellin. So this was, uh, as of Friday, it was the first time in NHL history that four teams had simultaneous win streaks of eight plus games, which is pretty incredible considering wow, right? the league has been around for a long time. The most that have been had is is three, and that was a couple of years ago. Um, but But as it pertains to the Oilers, here's why they're interesting to me. First of all, the fact that they're on a 10-game win streak is awesome, but they're winning games like we didn't think that they could. And I know Montreal is kind of in one right now, and they're you know they're not playing all that great, and they lost to San Jose yeah. the week before. But still, they're winning low-scoring games. They're getting goaltending. They're playing better in front of their goaltender. Their star player is healthy. And that's the difference with this team. I didn't have a lot of confidence in them winning a lot of low-scoring games, and here we are, and they're doing a pretty darn good job of it. You know, one of the... um, First of all, it's hard to get a headline in Edmonton. It's about Connor. It's about Leon. But Zach Hyman's playing the best hockey I think I've ever seen him play. Yep. Zach Hyman has been absolutely fantastic this year. You know, there's been a lot of great stories there. Um, Matthias Ekholm, after a speed wobble to start the season, injury-related, no doubt. Uh, he's been fantastic for the Oilers. Uh, I just mentioned Evan Bouchard a couple of moments ago. Throw Ryan Nugent Hopkins into that mix as well. Uh, I'll be curious to see what they do around deadline time as well, like everybody is, and in which areas of the game they shore up here. But uh, you're right, like Edmonton, are they the best in the league right now? Can make a case. You know, I, I thought it would... Now, there was once upon a time this season, Matt Marchese and everybody listening right now, he said, oh, there's no chance that the Oilers are going to catch the Los Angeles Kings. <laughs> yeah, maybe time for yeah, maybe time for me to shut up. And I look at the clock. It is time for me to <laughs> shut up. Thanks a lot to all of our guests today. Elliot Friedman, Thomas Trance, uh, Terry Ryan, you just heard from Jonathan Davis, uh, our supervising producer, Matt Marchese, our producer, David Siss, our board operator, Lance Kennedy, and the great Jen Rolnick, who makes it all look good on Sportsnet 360. If you want to hear the TR piece again, I encourage you to do so. Uh, We'll be available wherever you get your podcasts. And again, listen to his post game yesterday. It's one for the ages. All right, that's it for my nonsense. Uh, Back in 22 hours for more of the Merrick Show across the Sportsnet radio network.